Our scripture reading comes from the Old Testament book of Ruth, chapter 1. This is what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness if you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another household. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept. And she said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ruth and Naomi had to overcome their fair share of difficulties in trial and adversity. These women had only their own wits to help them out of a terrible, no-good situation. And they lacked that normal support system we all rely upon. Family, community, a center. The story of these two women stand in contrast to the stories of the Bible which surround it. The Torah texts of Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges, which precede Ruth's tiny little book, along with Ezra and Nehemiah, which follow, are textbooks on how to live the correct life as part of God's covenant people. I will be your God and you will be my people, the reader here is repeated over and over again. The exclusive claim of the Hebrew people to God's favor. Ruth stands in contrast to that vision. It is through this Moabite woman, this outsider to the covenant, that the Messiah would come. 
Without Naomi and Ruth, there is no King David, there's no temple, there's no kingships, there's no Jesus. Ruth is central to the salvation story, and she doesn't fit into any of the molds put forward as the right kind of person in the Torah. Ruth is a critique of the message of exclusion. And it's a new model for how to live a faithful life if we're to be followers of God. A faithful life that's determined not by the rules you follow, but by the choices you make when faced with challenges. A faith not defined by who you are, but whose you are. A faith defined by being claimed as a child of God and adopted into that covenant family. In Ruth and Naomi, we see two different models of facing adversity, perhaps informed by their circumstances. You see, Naomi had been there and done it. She was an old hand at this exile stuff. Ruth was young, maybe naive and inexperienced, and maybe, maybe Ruth had nothing else to lose. On the surface, Naomi has every reason to be optimistic about her return home. After all, her husband and son had died in a strange foreign land to which she didn't belong. What was left for her in Moab? Returning home should have been a promising return. But Naomi remains lost in the bleakness of her situation. Ruth's presence is a reminder of everything that she had lost. And there's no guarantee of a welcome home when Naomi returns to her ancestral home. And now, now she has a foreign companion, another woman who's a dependent mouth to feed. The reader can see clearly why Naomi is less than enthusiastic about Ruth coming with her home. Ruth is clearly the outsider, the one who doesn't belong, who has given up everything she has, every protection provided to her to go to a place where she will likely be even more excluded than a normal widow. Bethlehem had a deep distrust and dislike of the Moabites. It was an ancient thing. In contrast, Ruth sees possibility. She sees energy that when she lives beyond the walls that we use to define ourselves and to confine ourselves, we find truth. And when, in this situation, the chips fall, it's the outsider who asks the right questions, who makes the right choices. Ruth never asks why, though she certainly could. Instead, she asks, where will we go? And who will we be when we get there? These women challenge us to ask a different question of ourselves and others in the face of tragedy and hardship. Ruth and Naomi invite us to consider a different way to approach tragedy and difficulties. One lesson we learn from Ruth and Naomi is that two heads are better than one, and many heads are better than two. We're often trained as children to go on our own, to not be a burden on other people, to hold private the challenges we face. Whether it's a medical diagnosis or relationship problems or work issues, we hold them close to our hearts. We don't share them because we feel shame. We feel shame when, when the water rises above our heads and when the truth is that all of us, every one of us, have been close to drowning at one point or another. And there is no shame in needing help. It doesn't make us weak. It does not make us unfaithful. Asking for help is actually an act of strength which provides you with a community who lifts you up. 
Another lesson we learned from Ruth is to be brave. It's easy to make the easy choice. It's much harder to make the difficult choice, the one that's not so obvious, the one that leads us in the opposite direction from where we're used to going. Ruth could have chosen an easier path. Ruth could have gone back to her family. She could have returned home. She was young. She could have found another husband from amongst her own people. It certainly would have been safer. It certainly would have been more accepted, more understood. After all, there's no judgment made on Orpah for returning home. But the right choice was for Naomi was for Ruth to go. So Ruth chose to stay with her, to go to Naomi's people and accept her God as her own. It was certainly the harder choice, but it was also the right one. These women also remind us to ask the right questions. Fresh out of seminary, I led a class on what's known in theological, theological terms as theodicy, or how we understand the acts of God, especially when those acts are tragic or hurtful. I was stuck on how to explain it in a way which didn't make God into an evil, capricious being, but also, you know, respected God's sovereignty. It's a thin needle to to thread. And so I went to my senior pastor for advice, and Jan sat me down and said kindly, you know, you're asking the wrong question. Well, I said, the class wants to know why God does this thing, and why do bad things happen to good people, which is a legitimate question. Elizabeth has said, that's the wrong question. It's normal to ask why me when something terrible happens, but the reality is that terrible things happen to everyone. You're not the only one who's ever experienced some difficulty. All of us are sinners who've fallen short of the glory of God. So if terrible things just happen to people, and you are a people... What makes you think you deserve that less than someone else? Are you less sinful than your neighbor? Why shouldn't bad things happen to you? And I'm still not totally satisfied with that answer. I don't think it captures really the depth of our pain when we're going through tragedy. I don't think it really acknowledges that we feel like it's our fault when bad things happen to us. Like we did something to cause it. And so we ask why, because not to say that we don't experience hardship. We ask why not to say that hardship isn't a part of life. We ask why to understand what it is we did that caused it, right? I would like to have an easy life. If we could sign up for the fast track gospel pass where I could just, you know, cruise, that would be amazing. But that's just not reality. But she's right about one thing. It's the wrong question. It's not why me, because you didn't do anything to cause it. It's not your fault. You're not any worse than anyone else. You're not any better than anybody else. Bad things happen. And so when we ask this wrong question, it's one we're never going to receive a good answer to. There's very, very rarely a direct link between your behavior and an outcome. There's often no one to blame. Sometimes bad things happen. And so the question then isn't why, it's who. Who will I be in this time? 
Who will I turn to when things are more than I can handle? And most importantly, whose will I be in the face of all this mess? Naomi and Ruth answered those questions in a way which challenges us to put on our big boy pants and try the same things. Who will I be in the face of challenge? Naomi and Ruth chose to be loyal to their relationship, trusting one another, relying upon one another's love for support. Ruth chose to be brave in the face of the unknown. She's not naive. She knows the challenges that are ahead. But she decided to be the kind of person who faced those problems head on. Naomi chose to reach out for and accept help, even if she wasn't particularly happy about the kind of help she got. Naomi decided to make Ruth her own, to give her love and to support her, even when she felt like she had nothing to give. They stood up and chose to be the kind of people who trusted God, trusted one another, and could move together into the unknown. Who will I turn to when times are more than I can handle? Naomi chose to go home. When her grief was overwhelming, she returned to her community, the place where she knew a home would be opened to her. She had friends there, people there, family there who would support her and lift her up. When times were hard, she turned to her community and asked for help. Ruth made the opposite choice. Maybe her home, her people, her family were not a safe place for her to be anymore. Maybe it was a community which hurt more than it helped. Maybe she was blamed for her husband's death, told it was her fault, some sin she'd brought on her family into the household. If only she'd been better, took care of him better, or been less of whoever she was, she wouldn't be in this mess. Maybe that's the message she heard. And so you can imagine how that community could become harmful. And so she sought a new place, a new community, which would accept her as she was, outsider and all. She chose to seek a new place. Whose will I be in the face of tragedy? We see in Ruth's story the reality of the harshness of an ordinary human life. It's not easy even when it looks easy to you. Even when someone else's life appears easy or perfect, there's often a difficult truth to an ordinary life. And yet we see through this normal life a God whose providence, whose care is evident on every page. There is nowhere Ruth could go, nowhere Naomi could go, nowhere you can go outside of God's provision and protection. It doesn't promise an easy path. In the Gospel of John, we overhear the disciples wrestling with Jesus' sayings. They say, these are harsh words, the disciples complain. We won't listen. They're too hard. Jesus turns to them and says, you think this is bad? You haven't even seen what's coming. And so he turned to the twelve and he said, do you want to go somewhere as well? Do you want to go away? And Simon Peter looks to him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? Peter nails it right on the head. To whom would we go? 
Jesus is the eternal word of life, which means when we believe those words in our hearts, when we see the ways in which God's care for us appears in the midst of trial and trouble, we see that God is present, that there is nowhere else for us to go. Are you having a hard day? Well, God's love appears in the arms of a friend who calls to check in. Struggling with a new diagnosis, God's care is evident in the outpouring of prayers and messages of support and love given to you. God's love appears in the form of a friend with experience who walks this road with you, feeling outcast and alone. When you share those words with another you can trust in your community, God's love appears in the caring heart of a friend. God's care for the children adopted into his family is everlasting. We see it in the life of the outsider, Ruth, the one who is the least likely to matter. She is put in the right place at the right time to receive the support she needs. This providential, inclusive God speaks to us of possibilities. Possibilities that emerge when we remember who we are and whose we are. God will break into our lives through relationships, through new experiences, when we are brave enough to make the hard choice to face them, when we acknowledge the reality that tragedy is part of life. And when we reach out to God, we become even more aware of God's presence. So let's make sure we're asking the right questions. Let's trust one another with our lostness. May we be courageous enough to ask for help. And most of all, may we remember we are, and always will be, children of God. Amen. In silence, my soul. Thank you.